suppose no. In the opinion of the chair, the eyes have it. Oh, brother. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast, and 106.7 FM Queso in Cottage Grove, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 93 FM WLRI, in Maui, Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio, on WGRN 94.1 FM, and in Minneapolis, St. Paul, Minnesota, on AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. And, of course, coast-to-coast coast and around the globe, streaming on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Radio or Not, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Detour Talk, Radio Monterey, and Radio Sputnik, blanketing planet Earth five days a week. Thank you for joining us. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com, trying to make sense of the senseless today, as usual, as we do every day on this program. No more, uh, no day more so than today, I'm afraid, uh, as the uh, Republican National Convention gets underway in Cleveland. We'll have more on that in a moment. And as the cycle of violence following a long chain of killings by police, particularly of African-Americans, continued in the U.S. over the weekend. Uh, an African-American former Marine with a number of high-powered assault weapons and extra ammunition shot and killed three Baton Rouge law enforcement officers on Sunday, less than two weeks after Alton Sterling. A black man in Baton Rouge was fatally shot by police there in a videotaped confrontation that sparked nightly protests and have reverberated around the nation ever since. Three other officers were also wounded in that Sunday shooting, one critically, and the gunman was killed at the scene. Just days earlier, the AP reports one of the slain officers, 32-year-old Montrell Jackson, a black man himself, had posted an emotional Facebook message about the challenges of police work in the current environment in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, where he has to uh, where he had to ply his trade on July 8, just three days after the death of 37 year old Sterling. Jackson had said in a Facebook message that he was physically and emotionally tired. He complained that while in uniform, he gets nasty looks from the public and when, when he's out of uniform, he said, some people consider him a threat. Just something to keep in mind uh, as this uh, issue goes forward, as this debate goes forward, as this cycle of violence continues, as we see uh, both American citizens, um, civilians uh, being killed, as we see cops being killed. 
His madness just never seems to stop. Uh, that sh- Sunday shooting, of course, in Baton Rouge it comes on the heels of the <clears throat> recent shooting of five police officers in Dallas during a peaceful Black Lives Matter protest. President Obama condemned the shootings in Louisiana almost immediately on Sunday, stating that, uh, quote, I condemn in the strongest sense of the word the attack on law enforcement in Baton Rouge for the second time in two weeks. He said police officers who put their lives on the line for hours for hours every day were doing their job when they were killed in a cowardly and reprehensible assault. These are attacks on public servants, on the rule of law, and on civilized society, and they have to stop, said the president, adding, I want to be clear, there is no justification for violence against law enforcement, none. These attacks are the work of cowards who speak for no one, they right no wrongs, they advance no causes. The officers in Baton Rouge, the officers in Dallas, they were our fellow Americans, part of our community, part of our country with people who loved and needed them and who need us now, all of us, to be at our best. Uh, Also on Sunday, prominent Black Lives Matter activist DeRay McKesson. And it's interesting how they, you know, they feel they must come out. And there's right now, as far as I know, no ties to the Black Lives Matter movement by the killers, by the shooters in any of these events in uh, in either Dallas or Baton Rouge. Um, but, uh, you know, they feel they need to come out and make a, a clear statement disavowing that violence. So DeRay McKesson, uh, he also called for peace following the, uh, the president's statement uh, and uh, following the killing of the three officers in Baton Rouge on Sunday. He said the, mo- the movement began as a call to end violence. According to the New York Times, that call remains. McKesson himself was arrested earlier this month in uh, in Baton Rouge while protesting the death of Alton Sterling. He was killed by police on July 5. And it's interesting, Desi Doyen, that, yes, in fact, the Black Lives Matter movement was a call to stop violence, to end violence. It is a call to end violence. So when I hear these people coming out and blaming Black Lives Matter for these crazy people who, uh, you know, have easy access to automatic, uh, you know, assault weapons and are able to, you know, just start shooting people like this. Uh, it's it's kind of mind blowing. Hi, Desi. I forgot hi. to say hi. Uh, no, it's yes. also I think something that that comes that that's a corollary to the the sort of the heroization of the police that you know you cannot criticize in any way whatsoever. So very legitimate criticism brought up by the Black Lives Matter movement. This is something that is not to me surprising at all that the Black Lives Matter folks are now required essentially to come forth every single time this happens and say this is not what we're about because of course their movement has been twisted by ideologues who prefer to continue the way things are. They called to end violence. Uh, and and so, you know, when, when somebody acts in the opposite manner, the fact that we see these uh, some of these people, some of these police unions and so forth coming out and, bl- and certainly the people on the right and Donald Trump uh, blaming Black Lives Matter for standing up and saying, no, enough, these hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, uh, you know, their fellow African-American American citizens who have been, uh, you know, gunned down somehow when they stand up and they say enough, somehow it's their fault. 
when violence comes out of that. It's just kind of amazing. Uh, meanwhile, amidst all of this violence, the Republican National Convention gets underway today in uh, in Cleveland, Ohio, in an open carry state where toy guns are banned from the perimeter of the convention hall, but real guns are not. Ohio is an open carry state. Uh, it's just incredible to me. No, you can't have tennis balls. You can't bring sticks. You can't bring uh, fake water plastic water pistols. You can't bring toy guns. But real guns, those are fine. So over the weekend, speaking of the police union, the Cleveland Police Union, I believe it was after the uh, the shootings in Baton Rouge, the Cleveland Police Union called on Ohio Governor John Kasich to suspend the state's open carry provisions during the convention, ba basically begged him to do so, said we are uh, sending a letter to Governor Kasich requesting assistance from him. This was according to the union president, Stephen Loomis, on CNN. He could very easily do some kind of, I love this, some kind of executive order or something. I don't care if it's constitutional or not at this point. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, no, as it turns out, it's not constitutional, at least according to John Kasich and at least according to the Ohio Constitution, which allows the open carry of these weapons. Uh, Kasich uh, said as much, denied the union's request, arguing that he did not have the power to, quote, arbitrarily suspend federal and state constitutional rights or state law as suggested. I don't think there's anything in federal law that would uh, uh, keep them from being able to ban weapons around the perimeter of the convention hall in this particular atmosphere. But uh, the state constitution apparently does. Jeff Larson, the CEO of the Republican National Committee, agreed with uh, John Kasich, Governor Kasich, said that open carry is in the Constitution in Ohio. So the governor can't relax it for a day or tighten it up for five days this is what he told reporters at a press conference on Sunday, waving away the police union's uh, safety concerns. Larson, Larson added, I feel good about the security plan. I think it's going to be fine. I hope he's right. I Me mean, too. just for just for safety's sake. Right. Well, inside uh, so far, I think so good outside the uh, the convention hall inside a little bit less so, though not uh, violence. Uh, there was an effort to change the rules. Uh, to try by the uh, uh, stop Trump folks, the never uh, Trumpers. In this case, there was an effort to allow a full roll call vote for the uh, for the rules for the convention that was presented uh, by the rules committee. That effort for a full roll call vote was shut down by Republican officials just moments ago amid uh, loud protests in response on the floor. Des, I think we've got uh, here's here's a little bit of what uh, took place on the floor amidst this call, and it was unclear what the roll call vote would accomplish other than allowing some of these uh, folks who are against Trump to uh, get on record, get on record in that regard. But it, here's what it sounded like uh, in Cleveland at the Quicken Loans Arena just uh, within the past hour or two. I, all those opposed, no. In the opinion of the chair, the ayes have it, and the resolution is agreed to. Without objection, the motion to reconsider is laid upon the table. So that's going well. 
Uh, the uh, <laughs> the supporters uh, say that they had enough signatures uh, to get a full roll call vote. The Republican uh, officials uh, shut that down, saying that they did not have enough signatures. It's unclear actually what happened at this time and uh, and who's right if they uh, were able to strong arm officials to get them to, you know, some of these people who had signed to get them to remove their signatures or, in fact, if they just you know, said, nope, don't have enough signatures. We are moving on. The chair of the uh, convention proceedings that at that time actually left the podium for about 10 minutes to try to figure out how to proceed thereafter. Uh, several delegations are said to have walked out. The Iowa and Colorado delegations reportedly walked out in protest because they're anti-Trump. Uh, well, because they're anti those. Uh, well, those certainly the Colorado yes. uh, delegation is. Yeah. And uh, they seem to have just uh, walked out, just changed the rules. Uh, the claim is that the RNC is, quote, cheating to have their way on behalf of Team Trump and the appearance of unity. Uh, so there's also a separate effort now to try and allow delegates to approve of the presidential nominee separately from the approval of Donald Trump to allow the delegates to choose their own vice presidential nominee rather than the one selected by the presumptive nominee, Donald Trump. Uh, and, and of course, uh, he picked uh, over the weekend, made it official, chose Indiana Governor Mike Pence. So all of that is going on. And of course, that's not all. We'll have more. But uh, the news never stops breaking anymore, it seems. And my brain along with it. But just as we were finishing up our previous show, a word on the attempted coup, an attempted coup in Turkey started coming in before we were even done with the show. And that had followed on the Friday release of 28 uh, long classified pages of the 9-11 Commission report. So before we lose track of all of that amidst this week's Republican National Convention in Cleveland and the Democratic National Convention in Philadelphia the following week and Lord knows what else is going to break between here and there, I want to check in with the man who, who used to give the presidential daily briefings, daily intelligent briefings directly to several presidents of the United States, longtime CIA analyst Ray McGovern joins us next to try to help us at least try to make sense of it all. That's next on the broadcast. Stay tuned. Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free broadcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com donate to help us out today. Welcome 
back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. As the uh, folks are now gathering in Cleveland, starting off the kicking off the RNC convention. What could possibly go wrong there? We will certainly be covering that in the uh, in the days ahead. In the meantime, some 260 people were killed. During an attempted military coup in Turkey, a U.S. ally and official NATO nation, on Friday night and Saturday morning, the attempted takeover was said to have been repelled in the early morning hours on Saturday by forces loyal to longtime former prime minister, now Turkish president Erdogan. In response since then, according to the New York Times, the Turkish Interior Ministry has now fired nearly 9,000 police officers on Monday. That followed the arrests of 6,000 military personnel and 103 generals and admirals and the suspension of nearly 3,000 judges over the weekend. The magnitude of the purges has raised concerns among Turkey's Western allies, including the U.S., that President Erdogan, who has been moving very steadily towards the authoritarian right in recent years while cracking down on unfriendly press and social media, that he is abandoning the rule of law and using the coup attempt as a pretext to cleanse the country's uh, institutions of his enemies even further. Western diplomats reportedly said on Monday... The Turkey's response to the coup attempt suggests that the government had prepared lists prior to the unrest of those who they believe to be linked to followers of the exiled Muslim cleric Fethullah Gulen, who now lives in the U.S. where he oversees worldwide charities and a series of nonprofit schools both in the U.S. and, and more than 100 countries. So all of that happened Beginning on Friday, not long after we went off the air on Friday, uh, also on Friday, the long-awaited release by the U.S. government of 28 previously unreleased pages, classified pages of the 9-11 Commission's report. Those pages, withheld from the initial public release of the government's official 9-11 report, were thought to contain specific details concerning the relationship between the 9-11 hijackers and the Saudi government and had been believed to have been withheld first by the George W. Bush administration and then by the Obama administration to avoid embarrassing their Saudi Arabian allies. Joining us now to shed some much-needed light on all of the above and more and hopefully help me at least understand a bit more about the current somewhat disastrous state of foreign policy affairs right now across NATO and Europe and how that affects relationships here and with Russia and others is our old friend Ray McGovern. He's a 27-year CIA analyst, during which he served as chief of the Soviet foreign policy branch of the CIA, and he prepared and personally delivered the CIA's presidential daily briefings each morning to George W. Bush Sr. and Ronald Reagan, among others. Uh, since leaving the agency, he's become an anti-war advocate and peace activist. He was arrested, as I recall, just a few years ago, protesting outside the White House uh, with other former intelligence officials turned peace activists, such as Dan Ellsberg. In January 2013, Ray co-founded Veteran Intelligence Professionals for Sanity, 
which includes esteemed former Intel officials and whistleblowers like Ellsberg, Colleen Raleigh, Thomas Drake, Karen Kwiatowski, Colonel Ann Wright, and others. Ray is a contributor at ConsortiumNews.com, among other places, and his writings can also be found via Ray McGovern. Dot com. Oh, Mr. McGovern, welcome back to the broadcast, sir. Thanks very much, Brad. Glad to be with you. Very good to have you back. And uh, boy, I'm hoping you can uh, help me understand at least some of the general contours of what the hell is going on in Turkey and Europe and, and, and beyond. I know it's early on Turkey as we're still trying to unravel what really happened there, but... When this coup began to take place on Friday and Saturday, Ray, uh, the first thing that occurred to me, this is a NATO country. I know that NATO nations have a pact to come to the military aid of fellow NATO nations that are attacked, if I understand that uh, agreement properly. So what happens in a case like this where the military of a NATO nation attacks the democratically elected government of a NATO nation? Well, Brad, there's a long history of this, particularly in the Aegean area of Turkey and Greece. As long as uh, the the troubles are internal, Mm -hmm. uh, whether the coup succeeds or not, uh, things settle down to, quote, normal, end quote, and these people remain staunch NATO allies. In this case, of course, uh, the coup is put down. Uh, the uh, the victory, and most analysts of uh, Turkish affairs are talking about a great victory won by Erdogan, the uh, president. Uh, this uh, will be uh, used by him to clamp down even, even further on whatever is left of his domestic opposition. Uh, and whether or not uh, NATO uh, likes that or doesn't like it, there are 20 there are over 20 members of NATO now, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it'll it'll still be Turkish uh, forces holding up the, uh, the the southern flank of NATO, and uh, there will be no repercussions as far as NATO is concerned. Article 5, of course, uh, obligates each member of NATO uh, to come to the, the, the aid of the other if the other is attacked from outside. That was invoked, by the way, after 9-11 uh, for... Uh, NATO allies to come to help the U.S. Mm. So uh, the bottom line on the dur- on the uh, Turkish coup, in my view, is that uh, Erdogan has been given a terrific present here, uh, that he'll be able to change the Constitution further, that he'll be able to exert dictatorial powers without much dissent, and that uh, is very dangerous for, for NATO, for that whole Near East area, because he is the very definition of a loose cannon. Now, whether whether he had a hand in uh, a false flagging this mm-hmm. coup, uh, I don't know. It's uh, my my Turkish friend analysts also don't know. But uh, when you look at Kui Bono, you know who profits from all this. Mm-hmm. It is uh, it is understandably clear that Erdogan profits from it. That he had kept warning months in advance that a coup was underway. It could be. Um, that he let it be known through various sources that he was coming right after the army, and the army tried to prevent, uh, sort of like a, a preempt this kind of move against them, and they moved prematurely, and as you see, they fell on their face. Mm-hmm. last thing I'll say here, the lists. Wow, isn't it convenient that Erdogan had lists of 9,000 and 6,000 and <laughs> <Yes>. 3,000? <000. laughs> My God, you know? Yeah. Well, Initially, I thought, well, there it is. You know, there's the proof that, that this thing was uh, 
this thing was uh, kind of false flagged, but, you know, these lists exist in any case. Uh, so it's not proof of a false flag operation. It is proof that uh, all these people that were his or seen as his enemies are, uh, are due to be ch um, charged, many of them, of treason. Many of them may be executed. And uh, one of the uh, points when you bring up the idea of a false flag here, uh, Phil Giraldi writing over at the American Conservative, he's also a former uh, CIA officer. He's talking to uh, uh, you know his colleagues, his analysts there, and they seem to be suggesting it's both uh, in one sense, both uh, an actual coup that was being planned, that was going to come off, and... Uh, a false flag operation in that they sort of forced the coup plotter's hands to get it done right away so that he could then begin his crackdown. Is, is that possible, that it is sort of both a, a false flag and an actual coup? Yeah, I think it is possible. As a matter of fact, it's uh, really interesting that three of my CIA colleagues, now alumni, have all chimed in here. Graham Fuller, who mm -hmm. is deputy of the National Intelligence Council, uh, Paul Pillar, who is the National Intelligence Officer for this part of the world, and Phil Giraldi, who is an operations officer. They all pretty much agree uh, at what's going to happen as a result of this. There's a, a broad consensus that uh, uh, since the military knew that Erdogan was coming after them anyway, mm -hmm. Uh, that this may have been a, a preemptive move on part of the military to, to, to stave this off before it happened. And that's why it was so rushed. That's why it was so chaotic and, and, and crazy. And uh, it was just what Erdogan wanted. So there's great uncertainty as to how much of a false flag it was and uh -huh. who's bearing the false flag. But the result is the same, and this guy is, is a real, real loose cannon. And, you know, if he's going to go shooting down a Russian aircraft, if he's going to be menacing other people, if he's going to be cooperating with ISIS, as he has, and uh, al-Nusra, mm -hmm. as he has, then, uh, you know, now he's in a more more uh, powerful position to resist any any. Uh, any overtures towards calm or towards peace in that part of the world. So the the U.S. Uh, requirements or our obligations to NATO, you mentioned at the top here, uh, Ray McGovern, that no matter how this had worked out, even had the coup, had the military coup been successful, the U.S. would have been obligated to support whatever whoever became the quote-unquote legitimate Turkish government, even if it had been overthrown by the military. So we are stuck with supporting, uh, whether it's that government or the guy who remains in power, Erdogan, no matter how uh, much in disrepute he may be seen, we're still obligated to support that country and that government? Yeah, uh, disrepute does not seem to be a block to being a very faithful NATO ally. Uh, witness the, uh, uh, the goings-on in Poland and uh, in the uh, Baltic states who are uh, contriving this menace from Russia uh, so that they can fulfill their own political aims. No, this is the fourth such uh, coup or coup attempt in, in, um, in Turkey. Uh, there have been many in Greece right across the Aegean. Um, no matter how it comes out, as long as they're going to buy more weapons from the United States, mm. as long as they're going to be faithful, in quotes, allies, uh, then uh, as long as they encircle uh, Russia, then uh, they're uh, in good standing, so to speak. 
Is it credible, Ray McGovern, that uh, since you mentioned, uh, you know, buying U.S. Uh, weapons and so forth, is it credible that a, a coup like this can take place using uh, U.S. weapons and, and planes and everything else and that the U.S. would not know that it was going to happen. Uh, Erdogan has has already suggested that the U.S. Uh, may have known about this in advance, and we can talk about this uh, this guy, this uh, Fatula Gulen, who lives here in Pennsylvania, that Erdogan has blamed uh, for uh, for directing all of this. But is it credible that the U.S. does not, you know, if not involved in the coup, that that you know the u.s the cia you know the intelligence that we have as well as anyone that that we would not have known about this at, if not taken part in it at least known about it in advance uh yes it is unfortunately credible um particularly this kind of coup which seems to be a kind of a, uh, a spontaneous thing to uh prevent worse coming against the uh, the military. Gulen, uh, sure, he lives in Pennsylvania. Uh, I have to defer to uh, those of my colleagues mm-hmm. who I mentioned before, uh, who pretty much rule out any really active role he may have played in this. He, he's more a, a matter of convenience for Erdogan, who can finger uh, many, many thousands of people who he can call pro-Gulenists and who were involved in this. And, uh, you know, he's that is, uh, the Turks have asked for extradition for Gulen. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see what evidence they adduce mm-hmm. that he was part of this uh, this uh, attempted pooch, because Kerry has said he hasn't really gotten any evidence, or that he's not even uh, got an extradition request. So, I would rule out that this was sponsored or even uh, known about in U.S. intelligence circles, uh, despite uh, our big uh, presence at Inserlik and other air force and other bases in Turkey. This seems to have been uh, an ad hoc kind of minor thing planned uh, on the spot. Mm. Uh, I would not be at all surprised if we knew nothing about it. Uh, Turkey is a a member, as we discussed, of NATO. They have long hoped to join the European Union. Uh, Sort of two questions here. Well, is there any possibility, frankly, of that happening now? Is that all out the window for decades at best at this point, or at least until Erdogan actually somehow leaves power? Well, you know, the EU is, this is an interesting question. Um, Turkey's always been uh, very shy of, uh, uh, of the democratic uh, procedures that have been necessary to give it a uh, carte blanche to enter the EU. Uh, if, the, if the coup had succeeded, you know, if the military had taken over, mm-hmm. that would have made it even more difficult for Turkey to enter the EU. Um, the EU uh, pretends at least not to like military coups. Okay? Right. Um, but but the but Ray the the, uh, the the faction of the military that was said to uh, be behind the coup is supposed to be radically secular and pushing back against the Islamic uh, uh, you know the Islamicization of Turkey and so forth, which I think would uh, uh, that the EU and the US would actually like they, that they would like that idea. No, well uh, they might. But the question was, of course, whether this enhanced their prospects of mm-hmm. getting into the EU, and it, it definitively would not. Now, the big thing that Turkey has, the big leverage it has, is refugees. 
people that come through Turkey on their way from Iraq, from Syria, from all the other countries, mm -hmm. that our country has been largely responsible for decimating. Now, we're talking millions. And uh, when you get Angela Merkel and the EU people willing to pay $2 billion to Erdogan uh, to prevent those those uh, refugees from getting in boats to cross the uh, cross the Aegean, mm -hmm. um, you, you can see what kind of leverage Erdogan has. So um, Erdogan is needed to stem the flow of refugees. Uh, NATO keeps hoping, and the EU does too, that somehow this can be done. And Brad, no one ever asks. You know, no one ever asks why. Why are there so many refugees? And the answer, of course is what we started in March of 2003 when we attacked and demolished Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria, Libya. Uh, you know, that's just half the list mm -hmm. that the neocons have in mind as to how we should proceed in the Middle East. Which uh, gives us a good segue here to go to the uh, uh, these 9-11 uh, uh, pages, these 28 pages that have been uh, now released. Um, you, uh, well, just for those people who don't know, these are long classified 28 pages, uh, and they show that at least two, at least two 9-11 hijackers were aided by men with, quote, extensive ties to the Saudi Arabian government. Uh, the Obama administration, John Kerry, uh, along with the New York Times, Washington Post, they have all downplayed the information that was revealed by these 28 pages concerning the possible links between the Saudi government and the perpetrators of America's worst ever terrorist attack. Ray uh, McGovern, you've had uh, the chance over the weekend, I suspect, to look through these 28 pages. Uh, what do you find in them, and are they as innocuous as the U.S. government, the uh, mainstream uh, corporate media, and the Saudi government seem to be saying, oh, no no surprises here, nothing here to worry about. Well, Brad, these are damning, damning pieces of evidence of extensive Saudi government support mm -hmm. for some of the 9-11 hijackers. Um, people need to recall that 15 out of the 19 were Saudi nationals. Mm -hmm. And besides that, uh, the administration, our administration in Washington, uh, let hundreds of Saudi nationals get on planes, go back to Saudi Arabia before there was uh, a lift on the no-fly for, for the rest of us. So uh, it, is, it is giving hypocrisy a bad name. Uh, when the White House spokesman, Josh Ernest, gets up and says, uh, there's no evidence still that the Saudi government or senior Saudi officials funded al-Qaeda. Well, my God, yes, there is. <laughs> John Lehman, uh, who's not my favorite person, uh, um, but he was formerly Secretary of the Navy. He was on the 9-11 Commission. He mm -hmm. says, quote, there was an awful lot of participation by Saudi individuals, and some of those people worked for the Saudi government. Quote, our report, that is the 9-11 Commission report, mm -hmm. should never have been read as an exoneration of Saudi Arabia. So here you have two diametrically, diametrically opposed positions here, and to top it all off, you have the Saudi ambassador, or actually the Saudi foreign minister, saying, ha-ha, okay, now that the 28 pages are released, quote, the matter is now finished, end quote. Well, it's not finished. 
we have evidence here that uh, that the Saudi ambassador to the United States, the dean of the diplomatic corps, mm-hmm. uh, um, Bandar Bush, they called him. Mm-hmm. Well, he wrote a check for fifteen thousand dollars to one of the people who were suspected here to to a fellow who who was described as an extremist and a supporter of Osama bin Laden, and who always spoke of Osama as, quote, as if he were God, end quote. That's 15 grand. Now, what happened? Well, um, Bandar's wife uh, used to send $2,000 a month to this fellow's wife. So there's direct... Now, if if uh, Ambassador uh, Bandar mm-hmm. uh, is not uh, a part of the Saudi government, well, I don't know what the government means. I don't know what an ambassador does for a government. So there's incredible evidence here of a Saudi role in facilitating the arrival, uh, the housing, uh, the, the the training, and how to how to uh, steer an aircraft, mm-hmm. and up to the very end. Uh, staying with two of the hijackers uh, right outside uh, where I am in northern Virginia the night before the hijacking. What happened to him? Oh, the FBI says, well, he feigned a nervous breakdown the next morning, and so we let him go back to Saudi Arabia. Look, what happened here is our government made sure that the FBI and the CIA put no finger on any role for the Saudis, that's why it took a whole year by admission in this document, a whole year for the FBI to lift its first finger to establish a task force to look into the Saudi rule. What was the justification of that? All because they're a trusted ally. That makes no sense at all, Brad. There's no such thing as a trusted ally in intelligence work. <laughs> you never, you don't, there are no friendly intelligence services unless, unless your president and your CIA director, in this case, George Tenet, says, lay off. I don't want to see anything on Saudi roles in this terrible affair. And and that was one of the things that, that caught my eye as I was reading these pages, uh, Ray. Uh, so one of the guys, for example, uh, the pages report, uh, was able to, de- quote, was able to depart the United States despite FBI efforts to locate and re-interview him. How does that happen following 9-11? Somebody who is of interest in, in, to the 9-11 Commission, who has been interested, and then suddenly the FBI can't find him? Uh, how does that happen without our own government, whether it's the CIA or, or uh, you know, the Bush administration somehow, uh, that, that, that this guy can leave the country, the guy who's of interest in this case, without the FBI knowing about it? How does that work? Really? Well, they knew about it. Um, one must remember that uh, Dick Cheney and mm-hmm. George Bush were in charge of our government and uh, that they didn't want this, this information to get out. There are a lot of redactions in even these 28 pages. Mm-hmm. Uh, many of them, I suspect, uh, uh, tie Bush himself and Cheney um, to, uh, to the blanket prohibition on pursuing these Saudi contacts. Sure, they could pursue them. Uh, pursue them. Um, the bottom line here, before we run out of time, is, uh, is this. Um, during Obama's uh, administration, mm-hmm. so I'll go back seven and a half years, uh, how much money, uh, how, how much in the terms of arms, uh, arms uh, shipments to Saudi Arabia uh, have been approved? Mm-hmm. I'll tell you the answer to that. 
100 billion, B mm. with a B, okay? Mm. So seven and a half years, 100 billion mm. of arms made here in the United States sent to uh, or offered to Saudi Arabia for cold cash, cash on the barrel, so to speak, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, people say to me, Ray, for God's sake, <laughs> don't exaggerate. Only 50 billion of that has been approved. Now, Brad, whether only as an adjective or an adverb in this case, I don't think it belongs before $50 billion. That's the bottom line. That's the bottom line. And the forces in Congress and the forces in our administration and the what Pope Francis called the blood-soaked arms traders, they're the ones behind all this. They don't want to risk losing business with Saudi Arabia. Ray, all of that uh, underscores that uh, the the way that we treat uh, Saudi Arabia, and uh, no matter how autocratic, no matter how authoritarian they are, the way we treat Turkey, no matter how autocratic, no matter how authoritarian its uh, its current president is, it seems like keeping these allies, no matter how bad actors they actually are, keeping them, uh, you know, close to the U.S. seems to be what this is all about, and yet. I want to ask you about this before I let you go, Ray. Uh, the, the rise of Donald Trump seems to be of a piece with that rise in authoritarianism that we are seeing. Of course, it's been that way in Saudi Arabia for a long time, but that we're seeing in Turkey and in uh, uh, Europe with the uh, the Brexit vote to leave the, uh, the EU. Uh, you've been very critical. Uh, of both the George W. Bush administration, that's when I got to know you, during the dark days of that administration, and then subsequently critical of the Obama administration and the Obama-Clinton foreign policy. But when you look at the rise of a Donald Trump in the U.S., a guy who seems to have no understanding at all of the post-World War II structures that have been put in place for good or bad uh, but theoretically, to help avoid the continuous cycles of war in the in in, in Europe, uh, what what do you make of that in this country? Is that something to be concerned about above and beyond your criticism of people like uh, Secretary Clinton and so forth? Well, Brad, um, after nine eleven, you'll recall that uh, George W. Bush was given the podium at the National Cathedral. Mm-hmm. Uh, big mistake, in my view, because what he called for uh, in biblical terms was, vengeance is mine, says, not the Lord, but says George W. Bush and Dick Cheney. Mm-hmm. Uh, that gave him kind of a uh, an almost religious approval to have had it against whomever he accused of being uh, implicated. And of course, he, he, he gave the, the country to believe and mm-hmm. all its people Sixty-nine percent of the people believe that Saddam Hussein of Iraq had something to do with 9/11, just as we attacked them. So he played to our worst instincts to do things that he wanted to do. Now Trump is doing the same thing. Um, he is appealing to to people who feel they've been tricked, to appeal, they've been they've been, uh, they've been disregarded, and revenge is is the word here. That, that's what we're talking about. We they want to get back at what they mm-hmm. see as the real problems. They've been taught to believe they're immigrants. They're taught to believe they're all manner of people. The only thing they write about is the multinational c- corporations who are, in large respect, uh, responsible for, for most of the joblessness and stuff like this. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, I see Trump as a natural, evolving candidate.
case from 9-11, which uh, is uh, aptly compared with the burning of the Reichstag, the, uh, the uh, German parliament building mm-hmm. in uh, 1933, which gave rise to Hitler's ability to, to uh, talk about revenge, talk about uh, people that uh, he wanted to go after. And it scares me greatly that uh, Americans are not well educated, they're not well they're malnourished by the, the mainstream media into realizing what's really going on here. They're being had, and he is playing just as many other uh, demagogues to playing to our worst instincts. My God, I just hope that our worst instincts can be put into proper perspective and not, not prevail during this election year. I hope so, too. Ray McGovern, uh, 27-year CIA analyst, uh, briefer of presidents, uh, now uh, anti-war advocate and peace uh, activist, founder of Veteran Intelligence Professionals for Sanity. Check out his work, as ever, at raymcgovern.com and over at consortiumnews.com. Ray, always good to talk to you. Uh, Let's not wait another year before we do it again, sir. Sounds good, Brad. Good luck to you. Thank you, Ray. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and we're back with more Bradcast in a second. As it looks like, the uh, the head of Fox News may be out or just about to be pushed out. We'll have that story and more news, uh, some Clinton polls and more right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Stay tuned. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence. Why? Because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com slash donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com slash donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. There's no sound that no one knows What does the fox say? Oh, you're just trying to cheer me up, aren't you, Desi Doyen? <laughs> it is the best the song fox? ever about Fox. Thank you fox. for, uh, yeah, about Fox says. It's not necessarily least, about Fox News. I know. Unless we use it that way. Exactly. Uh, welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. And yes, we do have some Fox News news. Rupert Murdoch and his sons... Uh, Rupert Murdoch is the owner of uh, the, the Fox News parent company, 21st Century Fox, and his sons, uh, who now head up the uh, Fox News, well, they head up the parent company, I guess. Murdoch is sort of on his way out. He's sort of handing it over to his sons, Lachlan and James. In any event, Lachlan and James have reportedly decided to give Roger Ailes the boot, giving him the choice to resign or be fired. He, of course is the longtime head of Fox News, a former Republican uh, what communications director for Richard Nixon, uh, and really the, 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 the brains behind, if I can use that word here, the brains behind Fox News for all of these years. And now he has been uh, sued by uh, former Fox News anchor Gretchen Carlson in a sexual harassment and retaliation suit which we uh, we covered a week or so ago when that was filed. And there's been a internal investigation that uh, the, the Murdochs put in, hired an, a, a, an attorney, 
uh, a, a law firm to come in and do an internal investigation of what really happened. And now, according to Gabriel Sherman, who wrote a book on Fox News and on Roger Ailes over at New York, Gabriel Sherman is now reporting that uh, they are pushing him. They are preparing to push him out in response to this investigation. Roger Ailes' tenure as the head of Fox News may be coming to an end. Rupert Murdoch and sons Lachlan and James, co-chairman and CEO respectively of parent company 21st Century Fox, have settled on removing the 76-year-old executive, according to two sources, briefed on a sexual harassment investigation of Ailes being conducted by New York law firm Paul and Weiss. After reviewing the initial findings of the probe, James Murdoch is said to be arguing that Ailes should be presented with a choice this week to resign or face being fired. Lacklin, who is more aligned apparently with uh, with their father, who thinks that no action should be taken until after the GOP convention this week. So apparently he even he's on board. He just says, let's not do it during the uh, Republican convention. That would be all embarrassing and stuff. Another, that would look bad. It's true. Yeah. Another source confirms that all three are in agreement that Ailes needs to go. Which makes you wonder, my goodness, what did they find out in that investigation? Uh, apparently, other women have come uh, have come forward after Gretchen Carlson uh, to uh, levy similar accusations against Ailes. Uh, and uh, and they're also complaining about the fact that uh, Ailes has been you know, instructing hosts and anchors to stick up for him, basically, uh, amidst this lawsuit. While Gretchen Carlson's sexual harassment lawsuit against Ailes sparked the investigation, sources say it has expanded into a wide-ranging inquiry into Ailes's controversial management style. <laughs> that, that's what it took, 20 years and uh, a popular anchor to to sue before they started to realize there might be a problem at this quote-unquote news outlet. The interviews, uh, says Sherman, are now being conducted at Paul Weiss's uh, uh, Midtown offices because of concerns that the Fox offices could be bugged, sources say. Yes, the lawyers are seeking to interview former female employees of Fox News in addition to current staff. They are also looking into the appropriateness of Ailes's pressuring employees to speak out on his behalf against his accusers. So that's going on at Fox, and that could be a huge sea chain at that right-wing pretend phony news uh, outlet. Well, yeah, Roger Ailes has been the the, the, the guiding force behind yep. the aggressive and hostile way that Fox News has pretty much dismantled uh, what used to be considered journalism. Speaking of aggressive and hostile, Donald Trump, uh, the, uh, <laughs> the, the Jane Mayer, also over at uh, the New Yorker. Is that the New Yorker or New York? Uh, New Yorker. New Yorker. Uh, Jane Mayers uh, has a has an interview with Tony Schwartz, the ghostwriter of Donald Trump's infamous book, The Art of the Deal, which he has been, of course, bragging about while on the uh, on the campaign. I think he said it was uh, second only in uh, popularity and goodness to the Bible. Well, naturally. And uh, it is, in fact, uh, a, a big bestseller, uh, The Art of the Deal. And um, but apparently it wasn't written actually by Donald Trump. You don't say he had a ghostwriter uh, by the name of Tony Schwartz, who was interviewed by Mayer. And uh, he now completely regrets what he did uh, in writing that book and helping Donald Trump to write that book. He says uh, Schwartz says, I put lipstick on a pig. 
Quote, I feel a deep sense of remorse that I contributed to presenting Trump in a way that brought him wider attention and made him more appealing than he is. He went on to say, I genuinely believe that if Trump wins and gets the nuclear codes, there is an excellent possibility it will lead to the end of civilization. Oh, my God. So uh, and, and frankly, that's not unlike uh, what uh, uh, what Ray was uh, Ray McGovern was saying in that previous segment. I mean, he has been a big critic, you know, of the Obama administration and everything else. But he can look at what the hell is going on with Donald Trump and say, well, wait a minute. This is an order of magnitude above and beyond different. Yeah. Uh, and he, too, also lived through the uh, the George W. Bush era and remembers how horrible that is, which is why it drives me just so nuts when I hear people saying, well, you know, Hillary Clinton is so terrible that we should have, you know, Donald Trump, uh, it's fine if he wins because things will get so bad that people will see, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not waiting for things to get that bad. I was, as I said, I remember the Bush years. And frankly, when people make that claim, uh, these are people who can probably afford to live through those terrible times. Never mind those people who can't. Never mind the millions of not just Americans, but people around the world who will pay the price for this political gamesmanships that uh, these uh, these Bernie or Brust uh, folks who are saying uh, Donald Trump will be fine with me. Anyway, uh, more on that another day because we're running short on time and I want to hit this poll very quickly. Uh, we've been uh, covering the polls and Hillary Clinton has in fact been plummeting in a number of them, specifically in some of the state polls, but also uh, overall in the national polls, uh, including one poll out from, uh, I want to say, CBS New York Times late last week showing that Trump had Donald Trump had actually taken a lead over Hillary Clinton nationally. But of course, as I always have to point out, we don't run national elections. We run, we run state by state elections. So ultimately, these national numbers don't actually matter. They don't actually matter for good or bad. They don't matter if Hillary Clinton is, you know, leading by huge numbers or small numbers nationally uh, or if she's tied or losing uh, to Donald Trump nationally because it's the specific state numbers that actually matter. However, uh, since she has been losing uh, ground in those national polls and we've been pointing them out, I want to be, uh, well, uh, to quote Fox News, fair and balanced by uh, no, not by sexually harassing you, Desi Doyen, <laughs> but by actually reading polls here that uh, show that Hillary Clinton is now widening her lead, uh, at least according to a new poll released on Sunday from CNN ORC, showing that Clinton now leads Trump 49 to 42 percent, a seven point uh, margin there. In that same poll last month, Clinton led Trump uh, 47 to 42. So instead of a five point lead, now she has a seven point lead, according to CNN to their poll nationally. However, there's always a however, but however, in a four-way matchup, which includes Libertarian Party presidential nominee Gary Johnson and Green Party's uh, likely uh, nominee, presumptive nominee Jill Stein, both Trump and Clinton end up losing ground. Clinton carried 42 percent while Trump had 37 percent when you include both Johnson and Stein in those polls. So that brings her back to that same 5 percent nationally. 
for the record, Gary Johnson uh, picks up 13 percent when he's asked uh, it, when he's included in the poll. And uh, Jill Stein picked up five percent of uh, for the uh, for the Green Party there. So uh, it, really, the numbers uh, that have changed here are Gary Johnson's. He's had a four point increase from the same poll uh, last month. Uh, the poll also shows Trump gaining more support among Republican voters, 56 percent now saying they prefer him as the nominee over someone else. That's compared to 51 percent in June. So his majority of Republican support is growing. And uh, let's see, this uh, comes on the heels of the NBC News Wall Street Journal poll also released on Sunday morning, showing Clinton with a five point lead over um over her likely general election rival, Donald Trump. Uh, also on Sunday, ABC News, Washington Post put out a poll uh, with uh, showing Clinton with a four-point lead. Frankly, that's about normal, four or five points. That might be about normal if she was running against a regular old candidate, if she was running against, I don't know, Scott Walker or Mitt Romney or even, you know, Chris Christie, John McCain. But the fact even if you give her this seven point margin to me, I think Democrats would be wise to um, to still be very, very concerned about those numbers, even though right now, for the moment, it's increasing. We got a, a number of stories that we're going to have to put off again to another day concerning uh, problems uh, at the polling, but actually, you know, concerning insider election fraud, manipulating uh, voter registration files and everything else. This is in a number of states. That's just one of the reasons I keep saying, you know, I don't care, frankly, if Hillary Clinton is leading by 10 or 20 points when uh, Election Day rolls around. Our electoral system is too brittle. It is too easily gamed. And if you add to that all of the uh, uh, terror attacks going on around the world, over the break here, we've now got a report a man in Germany was shot dead after wielding an axe on a train and attacking several people. Uh, 21 people apparently on a German train have been attacked. Uh, according to Sputnik News, NBC News says 10 to 15 people are hurt as man with knives attacks passenger passengers on the German train. So we are just in too volatile an atmosphere, if you ask me, for anybody to uh, be comfortable about election results and to be comfortable about the idea that, yes, Donald Trump could, in fact, become the next president of the United States. And with that encouraging word, I will leave you uh, today as the uh, Republican National Convention kicks off. More coverage of that tomorrow. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, our booking goddess, Cynthia Cohn. My uh, guest today, Ray McGovern of Veteran Intelligence Professionals for Sanity. And, of course, you can find him at raymcgovern.com. You can find me on the Facebooks and the Twitters at TheBradBlog. And you can drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And you can also leave comments on any of our, uh, of our shows or download any of them in full for free at bradblog.com. That's it. Until we meet again. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.